We open our Bibles together tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll also read a portion of the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy is the last epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote. He is writing this epistle in his second imprisonment in Rome when he is about to appear before Nero for the second time which is going to result in his death. His imprisonment the second time in Rome is one of a dungeon, perhaps the Roman catacombs. He is, we would say, in solitary confinement. He writes to his spiritual son Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus. Second Timothy Chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned or sincere faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are, are, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. 
but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. And then if you turn to the fourth chapter, at verse 9, the apostle has said that all those in Asia are turned away from him. We read in chapter 4 at verse 9, he says to Timothy again, Do thy diligence to come shortly to me, for Deimos hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry, and Tychius have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coopersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his work, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man... He's referring to his first answer to Nero. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it, be, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. May God bless the reading of scripture to our hearts. The text this evening are verses 16 through 18 of chapter 1. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. In the sermons this summer that I'm privileged to give in Georgetown, I would like to preach a series of sermons on the heroes of faith but not the heroes that we think of in Hebrews 11. Not Abraham, and not Isaac, not David, and not Joshua, not the three friends of Daniel who quenched the violence of fire, but I'd like to preach on those who had faith, men and women who were unnoticed and perhaps unknown by us 
who were unseen by many in their actions and who are unsung. There are no statutes, there's nothing, there's not much that we know of them except a few references in Scripture. But yet they are known to God. They are known for their act of faith, and especially they are known of their true faith in its actions towards their brothers and sisters, their fellow believers in Christ. And they tell us two things. True faith in Jesus Christ does not sit around waiting for the right or great moment to then pop out and to shine, but true faith lives each moment in whatever place God gives us to serve him by serving others. And number two, true faith does not seek notice to itself or to one's own deeds, but true faith notices the needs of others over self and wants to bring notice to the deeds of Christ. True faith does not sit around waiting for a great moment, but lives each moment. True faith does not seek notice to itself but notices others in the body and points them to Christ. There are two verses. Perhaps you could remember for this summer on this series of those who are unknown and yet heroes of faith. The Lord's words, Matthew twenty-five forty: For inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And then the apostles' words in Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Onesiphorus was a member of the church of Ephesus, and the pastor was Timothy. Onesiphorus means helpful, means useful, means profitable. It's the same Greek word that we read in chapter 4, verse 9, when Paul said, bring Mark, because Mark is profitable for me for the ministry. Onesiphorus means helpful, profitable. Mark will be like Onesiphorus to me. We know nothing else about him. He may, at this point of the writing of Paul's words, he may have been dead. Speculation is about that because Paul addresses the household of Onesiphorus, his family. He doesn't address Onesiphorus directly other than in deeds that Onesiphorus had done in the past. We know nothing more about him. But from the Apostles' words, we can express his life in one sentence. He was a loyal, 
encouraging, diligent servant of Christ who showed the mercies of Christ to those in need. I'd like to say that one more time. I want you to say that with me, children, not out loud, adults, not out loud, but say it with me. And then after we say it, together, I want to ask you a question. When Nisiphorus was a loyal, encouraging, diligent servant of Christ who showed mercy to those, his brothers and sisters, in need. One sentence capturing his whole life. The question is, does that one sentence capture your life and mine tonight? May it be ever more so through the preaching of his word. We consider Onesiphorus, who is the helper, we see that he was a loyal friend, he was an encouraging brother, and he was a well of mercy. Onesiphorus was a loyal friend to the Apostle Paul when the Apostle Paul needed a loyal friend when he was being abandoned by others in the church and when he was being ridiculed, scorned, and hated by the world. Paul says, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of my chain, his imprisonment. But in Rome, when he came to Rome, he sought me out very diligently. Onesiphorus is brought up in his letter to Timothy as a contrast to what Paul has just said to Timothy in verse 15 of the first chapter. He says these words, they're startling words. This thou knowest, Timothy, that all they that are in Asia... That's the area around Ephesus where Paul did much of his work and started many churches. All they in Ephesus be turned away from me, of whom are two leaders, Phygelus and Hermogenes. There were many, as Paul is in prison, who were defecting from Paul. Evidently in Asia, it was a large-scale defection. And there were leaders in the church who were defecting. Some of these, we gather from the scriptures, were Benedict Arnold's. They were Quislings. They were going over and back to the world. They were false teachers who were bringing in false doctrines. The second chapter of 2 Timothy, verse 17, he refers to the men whose words eat like a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Others, pastors and leaders in the church at this point, were leaving the Apostle Paul, were critical of the Apostle Paul, because they believed that his imprisonment would bring them greater opportunities in the ministry in the churches. And still others, and this was probably most of those who turned away, were afraid to be identified with Paul because of the scorn and the contempt 
that the Roman world was showing to Paul. They did not want to necessarily be associated with him or to stand in his shadow when he taught the truths of Jesus Christ because of the derision that was coming against Paul. They were ashamed. And so you know this is on Paul's mind. Verse 8 we read, he says to Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord in this culture nor of me. Don't be ashamed of me, Timothy, who, is, who am a prisoner for the Lord's sake. And we got a feel for it, what he was going through in chapter 4, 9 through 19, where we read Deimos, who up to that point in all of the epistles is listed as a faithful worker with Paul, Deimos has forsaken me because he's covetous. He wants the things of this world and he sees he's not going to get them if he follows Christ and me. Others had left for other places of service. Crescens had left for another place of service. Others were openly hostile. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. There was a backing away from the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 16 at my first answer, that is when I was arraigned for the first time before Nero, no man stood with me. He came to court and there was no one. They all forsook him. I pray that God may not leave, lay this to their charge. Christianity then and now is not simply wearing a bracelet, what would Christ do? It's not simply wearing a necklace with a cross. It's not simply doing the right things and coming to church. But Christianity is an unashamed identification with Christ and with the reproach that the world brings in its culture tonight against Jesus Christ. But there were many as Paul was led of God at this point to be the one representing the church to testify to the Roman world of Christ Jesus, only Lord and only Savior. There were many who were seizing that moment to split the church, to advance their own ministries, or to distance themselves from Paul. They were ashamed of him, of Christ, and of Paul. And shame is a powerful emotion. Sometimes the Bible refers to shame as a good thing. We should have it. We pray for it too tonight. Ashamed of our sins 
ashamed of our deeds, of our follies, of our past follies and awful sins. The Bible warns us, young men, warns us, young women, all of us, if we lose a sense of shame for our sins, that this is a form of terrible hardening of the artery of faith. Jeremiah 6 verse 14, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? When they saw abomination in in terms of our day? Nay, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. We lose the ability to blush over that which is perverse and evil. None said, what have I done? There is a shame for our sin, not that we don't know the wonder of forgiveness, that we doubt our salvation, but there is a shame, a shame which finally blots out all our excuses, blots out our minimizing and, and accusing others of really being complicit in our sin. There's Peter's shame for sin. That's a good shame. We need that shame. We need to feel that shame. But there's a bad shame. That's to be ashamed of Jesus Christ in this world. It's the shame that we would have toward another who is confessing Jesus Christ in a world, but in this world, but to support him before those we work with, or the neighbor, or this world, to support such a one who's making his stance for Christ would bring reproach, and we are ashamed almost to be identified with them. This is what was happening to the Apostle Paul. Ashamed of the testimony that he was making before the world of Jesus Christ. They knew that when Paul was in prison, and what Nero thought about him, it was a risky thing to publicly associate with that teacher, with that doctrine, with that man, the Apostle Paul. Their shame brought them to cowardice. And it hurt the Apostle Paul. We don't read much negative of Paul. He's a rock of faith, but he says enough that we know this was hurtful. This was very hard for him. When we become ashamed of the Christ and ashamed of those who are living, who are standing, who stand up, They have the courage that perhaps we should have had and they stand up. But then we're afraid to say, he's right. I agree with that. And the point, of course, is not that we often have many opportunities to speak of Christ and to explain the truth of the Bible to people and we pass over them That's wrong too, but that's not really the point here. The point here is, this is a believer, 
Paul, who is in crisis. He's standing for the right things at the right time. And he's saying the right things. But there are few who are standing with him before the world. Paul's not standing as a religious radical. He's not standing as a rebel against the state. He's doing the right thing. He's not avoiding a catacomb, a a prison, a dungeon. But there were many who did not want to be counted with him. But Onesiphorus, publicly, was loyal to Paul. Publicly loyal to his brother. And you can see why the Apostle Paul is so thankful for him. He's, there's not much he says about Onesiphorus, but he refers to him a number of times. Salute him. Salute his household. He oft refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chain. Paul, this lightning rod of the Christian faith in the first century, the first century was a severe anti-Christian culture. It was a homosexual culture. It was an evil culture. The first century A.D. in which Paul lived is a type of the last century of this era the same culture will be present and it's a picture of the church at the same time you cannot say publicly the things that Paul was saying about sexuality about the creator about salvation alone in Christ about no other gods but the true God Jehovah you can't say those things Paul was hounded by those who scorned him. The Jews, outwardly religious people, they said they distorted him. They said he hates the temple. He hates our religion. He despises our traditions. He's a hate monger. Paul is. And in Rome, he denies the worship of Caesar. He denies the Greek gods. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in the gods. He doesn't believe in gods of stone and wood. He says that there's one king, Christ Jesus. He says, he has the audacity to say that there is no peace possible in this world except in Christ. And that we, by grace, must trust in Christ alone. And Onesiphorus was loyal. He stood publicly with Paul. He was not blindly loyal. As I said, the the Apostle Paul was a man. He had his faults. He had his sins. He had his weaknesses. He had his moments. And Onesiphorus, as a friend, was a faithful friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Onesiphorus' loyalty was to Christ, but it was also to Paul. And it was to Paul when he was condemned for the gospel of Christ. What did Paul need at this point? What did he need? Well, we say he needed 
personal assurances from people, yes. Maybe a text. Maybe a note. Praying for you, Paul, slip through the bars. And that's helpful. Church history tells us that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor during World War II in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hung by the Nazis to death, that when he stood to be arraigned in court, history tells us that one of the German guards, German soldiers, secretly slipped him a note of encouragement to be faithful to God. He didn't join Bonhoeffer, but he wanted to encourage Bonhoeffer. But you see, Paul needed more than that. He needed someone to identify himself. He's being chained. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's in a dark cell. He is cut off. He needs someone to find out where he is. He needs him to come to those bars and speak to him, to put his life on the line, to be identified by the world as a friend of this man because he is a friend in Christ. Are we loyal to our friends in Christ? As young people, as all of us, when they stand up and we know they're saying and doing the right thing. And we say, yes, that's right. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of what he's saying. Do we identify ourselves as those who hold to these truths of Jesus Christ, our salvation, even when others are going to scorn us, they're going to misrepresent us, they're going to label us, they're going to show derision to us, that we do not allow the fear of man to keep us from showing that we are associated with. We agree with that. That's our faith. That's the truth. In that classroom, in that job, at that moment, no, we say, what that man is standing for is truth. This is Onesiphorus. He was loyal. And we are going to have occasion more and more for this. To be loyal to Christ and each other. Onesiphorus was not only a loyal man, but Onesiphorus was a very encouraging brother. He had that gift. The apostle says, he oft refreshed me. 
He oft cheered me up. He oft revived my spirit. He was a breath of fresh spiritual air for me. No doubt Onesiphorus did this often for the Apostle Paul, and now in Rome when he found him, nobody was taking care of Paul's body or concerned about his body. Perhaps he brought him drink and food, but it was especially the spiritual encouragement in Christ that, yes, the Apostle Paul is a man, and he needs to be refreshed in Christ, and he needs not just another minister to talk theology about, but he needs a practical brother who's able to encourage him and remind him to hope in his God. He's a David who needs a Jonathan. We need a Jonathan. We need an Onesiphorus. And we learned that this was his character by God's grace. Onesiphorus was a refreshing man. He, was able, he brought refreshing with him. He oft, that is often, repeatedly, he refreshed me. He had this way. Are you and I refreshing people to each other? Or are we depressing people? Do we lift the heart of another driven down to Christ? Or do our words bring them lower? Do we give joy to others in their need? Or do we suck the joy out of them? Are we someone that a weary, wounded child of God wants to have around them? Because we bring the good hope of the gospel. We have different strengths and temperaments and personalities and some of us are retiring and quiet in a crowd and others have the ability to speak. That may be. But that's not what this is. This is refreshment. He has this spiritual ability. Jesus said, And whosoever shall give to drink, whosoever shall give to drink. Unto one of these little ones who believe in me, a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple shall in no wise lose his reward. We are, by God's grace, I don't say this boasting now, but we are Calvinists. That means reform. That is not an invented religion, but that truth of the Bible of the sovereignty the absolute sovereignty of God in all things and in salvation. We promote the glory of God and God is the one who is sufficient for everything in this life. We therefore should be of all people the most hopeful people and giving hope to other people in all the world. We who know where forgiveness comes from. We who are confident in the sovereignty of God. When we get to visit, even with someone who's down, we don't take it as the opportunity to grind an axe of the things that are irritating us. We do not bring a sour pickle religion 
We don't want to be a downer to someone. But we talk to them of hope and trust and God's faithfulness. We are listening. We are compassionate. We ask questions. We desire an aroma of the gospel. Something smelling of the gospel to be in our visits. Paul says he was not only refreshing, but he was extremely diligent. He was not ashamed, says Paul, of my chain, but when I was in Rome, but when he was in Rome, he sought me, he searched me out diligently and found me. Now we don't know why Onesiphorus was in Rome, except he lived in Ephesus, except that he probably knew that Paul was in prison, but he didn't know where. And evidently, many in the church didn't know where. Where they had taken him. He had to search for him. It took some digging. It took some inconvenience. He had to look to find him. He had to not take no for an answer. It was very hard for him to find him. We say... It's the thought that counts. And there's truth to that. That you remember someone when you call them to mind. Sometimes the words, it's the thought that counts, is a cover-up from my failure to do diligence to actually come and see the person. We say to each other, I had lots of good thoughts about you. Well, try that on your anniversary. Speaking maybe to the younger men more than the older, just try that. You say to you, I was so busy today. I had these plans about our anniversary. Um, I was going to I was going to make reservations. I was going to do a lot of things, but I ran out of time, honey. I had good thoughts about it. See see how that goes with her. So also with each other and our needs. Onisiphorus Search for me, and he found me. And it wasn't easy, and it was not safe. Your friend, would your friend say of you, of me, whatever age, I'll just mention young people, would your friends know that when you are at your absolute worst, they will find you? Does your child know that about you as mom and dad. In their need, you will find them. I can remember as a pastor here, when in the providence of God there was a sudden, when there would be sudden death in the middle of the night. And as I was called to go, 
I said to myself, what am I going to say? Lord, help me. And I would arrive at the house or arrive in the waiting room, at the waiting room. And down the hall, I'd be hearing singing. Because either the house or the waiting room in the hospital was filled with a group of people. Members of the congregation praying and singing and encouraging. They were there. They had come. And I remember what Brother Langland, Mike Langland, will say to you about coming to the funeral home, about being worried about what to say. And he will say to you, most likely they're not going to remember what you say. But they will remember that you were there. Onesiphorus was there. And it is wonderful to see how much the life of Christ in us is blessed by simply being there. Young people again by being there. How much good from Christ and blessing you enjoy by being here at church, by being at the church picnic, by going to the evangelism meeting, by joining this committee or that committee, by participating in the church, and that's just not for, old, for young people. It's for us whose bones don't want to get out of chairs anymore. That we be there and live for each other. That's Onesiphorus. And Onesiphorus is a servant. He's loyal. He's encouraging. He's a servant. He's diligent. He's a servant. He ministered, says Paul to Timothy, you know how many times he ministered to me. So Paul again was thinking in the prison cell not just of his minister friends and that he'd like to talk to them of the deep things of the faith, but he's thinking about a man who ministered to him, who whose character was to serve him. We say that character is what we do when nobody's looking at us. We could say character is also this. Our character is whatever it is that people are not surprised to see us doing. When they see you doing that, they're not surprised. That's our character. We are found often doing this. Onesiphorus' character was that he was often found doing this. 
This is how he acted. This was his spiritual character. God blesses the church when he gives to us those whose character in the church is that they do these things. And they are an example to all of us when we are in our needs. True faith is not simply giving my body to be burned. That is true faith. But true faith is to sacrifice self in the love of Christ for the needs of others. Jesus said, He that will be greatest among you must be a servant to all. That was Onesiphorus. And that's exactly what makes the true faith of the Christian tonight, tonight in today's world so different from the world and from our country. The darkness that has descended upon our country, the morality is that what you should do is express yourself the way you want to express yourself, whatever it is, and then demand that everyone has to line up and affirm, acknowledge and affirm your personal expression. The whole world around you must support you in your expression. And when you're strong enough to stand up for your expression and require others to support you in it, then you are a hero. But Jesus said, let a man deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That was Onesiphorus. And Onesiphorus was a well of mercy to the Apostle Paul. It's striking in the text that twice the Apostle Paul says, the Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. And again, verse 18, the Lord grant that he find mercy of the Lord in that day. And I believe that what was going on in the apostles' mind was the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 7, the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I believe that the apostle Paul understood or diagnosed or saw a man like Onesiphorus and he thought of his, what he was doing for him in terms of mercy. The Lord's, he was showing the Lord's mercy to the Apostle Paul. And it was the Lord's mercy that the Apostle Paul coveted more than anything else. In the first book to Timothy, he says... He's in the prison. He's alone. 
His mind is probably going where our mind would go, back to the past and to his, his life and his shame. He says to Timothy, I was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. I persecuted Christians, but I obtained mercy. Paul had obtained mercy of the Lord. And when Onesiphorus came to him, that's what he thought about. This man is merciful. I see in him the mercy of my Lord. Let us be wells of the Lord's mercy to one another. Let us pray this week, Lord, make me a loyal, encouraging, diligent servant of Christ to show the mercy that I have received of the Lord to others. May that be. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that we may not be ashamed of the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of those that Thou hast equipped to make that testimony in this present world. Make us such that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Give us the convictions, the wisdom, the strength given to the Apostle Paul Give us the loyalty to the cause of Christ and to each other given to thy servant Onesiphorus. Make us helpful. In Jesus' name, amen.